Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily. Hopefully this will be the last audio-only episode of Human Events Daily while we're taking this week off to upgrade our studios. We're doing audio-only, but we are still here to provide you with the news and analysis of the day's events. Today's top stories. First, of course, the war in Ukraine, day 16 update. We're going to go to the Institute for Study of War, and we're going to talk about the UN Security Council meeting on these biological weapons claims. Next, Facebook, Instagram are calling for a temporary allowing of the call for violence against Russians. Third, an exclusive from the Federalist, the special counsel's office, Durham, is investigating the 2016 DNC server hack. And then finally, when we all vote, Michelle Obama's voter registration drive is kicking into high gear. All this and more head Human Events Daily. Turning Point USA is out with another documentary. You guys have to go watch this. Season two just launched of the Socialism Sucks series and the first episode. Of course, it's so amazing. Everything about China, everything about communism, and everything about the Wuhan lab. You may have forgotten some pieces of this. And what they've done is put this all together, just like I do here, Be Good, Be Brief, Be Gone. They've taken the POSO model, and they've taken all of COVID-19 and the ties between Fauci, the NIH, the Wuhan lab. You remember the whole thing? We talked about it day in, day out from every single day here on the podcast and on other podcasts. What what Turning Point has done, they've taken all of that. They synthesized it together. You've got to watch this documentary. It is fantastic. It's so well done. And it's also really great, by the way. You can just send it to anybody you want and they will know. Boom. That's what happened with COVID. That's how this thing got started. That's what was going on in the Wuhan lab. And that's what Fauci was up to. So you go, you watch the Socialism Sucks series, turningpointusa.com. All right, starting things off today, we're going to the Institute for the Study of War, the Russian Offensive Campaign Assessment for March 10th. So this is at the end of the day, close of business. Yesterday, we're recording this to you for today. And we know that there will be developments on the ground, but it states, the likelihood is increasing that Russian ground forces are attempting to encircle and take Kiev. Russian forces seem stalemated around Kharkiv and they claim distracted for efforts around seizing that activity. Russian advances in the south around Mykolaiv and around Zaporizhzhia in the east are making progress as well in the last 24 hours. Russia likely retains much greater combat power in the south and east and probably renew effective operations and offensives in the coming days. But the speed of these operations is questionable given the performance of the Russian military to date. Yes, of course, as we've said again, the Russian attempts, right? Russia, Russia's known for this. Russia's um, military strategy is renowned for being really bad in terms of supply chains and supply logistics. Uh, they always kind of stumble out of the gate, but very slowly they move to encircle opponents. And you're starting to see that now. You can actually see the encirclement of Kiev and the encirclement of several areas in the vicinity, sort of the outskirts of Kiev taking place. A new Russian invasion from Western Belarus with or without Russian Belarusian ground forces support appears increasingly unlikely. That's according to ISW. Russian forces remain pinned down in attempting to reduce Mariupol by siege and bombardment. So they're not pushing into Mariupol yet. That's down in the southeast. 
Ukrainian air forces and air defense operations continue to hinder ground, Russian ground forces maneuver, likely by limiting Russian close air support and exposing Russian mechanized forces to Ukrainian air. So there's really no air superiority from either side in this case. You do have both being able to field, of course, Russian air clearly outnumbers Ukrainian air, but they've been doing much better than a lot of Western analysts likely originally decided uh, or perceived. Russian forces are now securing long ground lines across Sumai in attempt to link up with Luhansk. This is why I was talking about yesterday. This is the long land bridge that you're starting to see built now in the Northeast. So you go to that Northeast corridor. So we've talked about the land bridge in the southeast, and much has been made of this, the land bridge linking Donbass to Crimea. So you're now seeing a land bridge linking Donbass in the north from the northern sector of Luhansk all the way across that northern rim of the Ukrainian border with Russia, or what was once the Ukrainian border with Russia, and is now linking up with the Russian offensive in Kharkiv. You're also seeing encirclement of various Ukrainian armed forces in that region uh, with the ability then, because if they can extend these lines all the way across from Donbass to Kharkiv, they will form a united front. And you're seeing this sort of like, you know, almost, you know, I, I'm uh, again, I apologize for this being audio only, but yeah, think of it as an inverted C. So you're looking at a C that's flipped behind to a backward C. Um, kind of like how Russia uses the backwards R in the Cyrillic alphabet, but a backwards C, that's essentially what Russia is now forming around the cusp of Ukraine with the addition of Crimea to the south. Um, so in various cities like Mariupol, of course, Russia does ha have its achieved circlement there. And they are attempting to use envelopment operations, but because of the presence of these civilians, because civilians have not been able to get out, we are now seeing many, many civilians caught in harm's way. And as I said yesterday, I'll say again, any information that's coming out of the battlefield, you have to give it the 24 hour rule, 24 to 48 hour rule. So whatever comes out of there, we know that both sides are going to be playing that up now. Getting to the United Nations situation. Now, I said this on War Room, and I'll say it again. I don't think that the talks at the UN Security Council are going to go anywhere. What I think Russia is doing with this whole biolabs narrative, right, regardless of whether or not they find something in there, right, we know they might, because, of course, Victoria Nuland's crazy testimony a couple of days ago, where she did not deny, right, Rubio asks her, he says, do they have bioweapons? And she could have easily said, nope. Do not have it. But she didn't say that. She said there are research materials and we want answers as to what that actually is. My stance, incinerate them. Get rid of it. This shouldn't be in anyone's hands. It shouldn't be, period. Just get rid of them. We don't want them on this planet. That's number one. Number two, what is Russia doing at the Security Council? They know they're not going to get a ruling in their favor or a resolution in their favor. What they're doing, it's very clear. They're taking the same words out of People like Colin Powell, people like Condoleezza Rice, people like George W. Bush, the CIA director at the time, George Tenet, they are going and taking those very same words and throwing them in their faces because they are using this as an opportunity to throw back the United States' lines right at them. That's what's going on here. It's an inversion of the Iraq War playbook where they're saying, you have WMDs on the ground. We are going in to clean this up. So whether or not 
you know, anything actually comes out of these UN discussions. And, you know, my, my read on it, my analysis on it is probably not. And there's probably not going to be anything that comes out. There's certainly never, you're never going to see the United States acquiesce to any of this. You're never going to see anyone from the United States military, the establishment, the diplomatic corps acknowledge it. That's why what Victoria Nuland said was so crazy, right? Because that was something where she went totally off script. Um, everyone expected her to just deny it and it would have been an entire non-issue, but because she admitted it, she gave the Russians the ability to then tee up this UN Security Council meeting and throw all the Iraq war lines back in their faces. I don't even know, by the way, if the Biden administration is smart enough to understand it, uh, but you got to imagine there's somebody in there who, you know, is kind of realizing that that's the game here. That's what's being played. So, as we go into the weekend, we're going to see what's happening in these last two days. But that 40-mile convoy, this is the bottom line here, that 40-mile convoy has separated and has dispersed across Kiev. They're now going into those southern regions. They're now going into the suburbs in that area. This is the most dangerous scenario. This is what I've been talking about. You're now seeing the same siege tactics that were used in the early days of the Battle of Berlin. Remember the Battle of Berlin, if you go read your history, because they don't want to teach you this stuff, you know, the United States was involved in strategic bombing, but did not take part in the actual uh, fighting on the ground. And so it's not really taught in American textbooks. Go read about the Battle of Berlin. What did they do? They sent in uh, the Poles, they sent in the Belarusians, they sent in Ukrainians, actually, um, in the Battle of Berlin first, and then they sent the Russians in after. They also used tanks, used them as battering rams. You're going to see the same move take place. So if the if Belarusian troops do get involved, and we're starting to see some potential reports of that, Lukashenko just went to Moscow, had apparently a five-hour meeting with Putin. You know, we don't know, but we do know that there's a lot of talk about the possibility of this happening. And if it does, wouldn't surprise me if they were sent in first. And that would really confirm this Battle of Berlin theory that I've been talking about. But the main take on all of this, the frame that I want to give everybody on this, there are two ways to look at this. You can go in and you can talk about the tit for tat. You can talk about whatever the last dopamine hit you have is, whatever the last thing you saw in the news was. You know, I heard Mitt Romney today screaming, MiG-29, MiG-29. He doesn't even understand that the White House was reading off of a West Wing episode playbook, right? Just straight up plagiarizing Aaron Sorkin to try to de to escalate or de-escalate. I don't even know what they were trying to do, to be honest. And it seemed to me like they were trying to frame Poland into starting World War Three, and the Poles are like, yeah, no, we ain't playing that one. Uh, and me personally, you know, I am not going to let Poland or let the United States and the West do Poland like that. Oh, by the way, the EU last night just voted to sanction, economically sanction Poland and Hungary over what they call a lack of rule of law, right, for totally unrelated issues. When, by the way, Poland is the one that's actually taking in over a million five in terms of refugees when the rest of the EU is just sitting there yelling at them. And then they're going to vote to economically sanction Poland and Hungary. Hungary is also taking in refugees and all this. So there you go again western europe selling out eastern and central europe not the first time it's happened poland remembers 1939 and they remember it very well but i want to give everyone a frame to look at this a little bit differently the frame that i put on the news right now is escalators versus de-escalators so when i see escalators i think of people like senator mitt romney straight up warmonger neocon whatever you know word label you want to use he is the old school George W. Bush type of Republican candidate. Um, and obviously he wants to run. 
for president. And he's trying to use this as a potential way to get back into the good graces of the GOP establishment and the GOP base. Uh, president Trump, former President Trump, had been a strong anti-war, pro-American nationalist policies type of candidate, didn't want to get involved in these wars, wanted to use rapprochement, wanted to use diplomacy, wanted to use the um, uh, speak bigly and carry a big stick type of the type of diplomacy for these people, telling Putin to his face that he would uh, bomb Moscow, telling Xi Jinping that he would bomb Beijing if they made a move on Taiwan. That's the type of policy that President Trump took. Now, of course, you don't hear that from these other people, these escalators, right? And, and you don't realize, by the way, that what, what President Trump was doing in, in making those threats actually was de-escalatory language, right? And so this might be hard for mouth breathers and word cells and midwits to understand, but what President Trump was doing by using tough talk and using what's called the madman theory of geopolitics, he actually created a security situation, a security blanket. He threw a security blanket over Ukraine and flew a security blanket over Taiwan with that because they didn't know, right? Beijing and the Kremlin couldn't understand whether or not Trump was serious about his his comments. And they saw the Syria strikes and they saw the Soleimani strike and they thought, you know what? This guy might just be enough of a madman that he would actually strike if we do this. So you know what? We're not going to do that. That's called military rapprochement. That's called peace through strength. But now we've got war through weakness. War through weakness is what Biden has done. And you saw that on the ground in Afghanistan. You saw that. And we're seeing that now in Ukraine because he can't keep up his military commitments because they see he's weak. They see Tony Blinken is an idiot. And they see that Jen Psaki is taking things from the West Wing playbook. They know how to read these people and they know how to play them like a fiddle. So don't escalate, de-escalate. And every time you're watching the news, say, you can see who is escalating and then see who is de-escalating. And I will say that when it comes to the de-escalation of this, even though I'm no fan of President Erdogan, Recep Erdogan of Turkey, right? I've called him a a, um, a neo-Ottoman dictator, right? And he is one, but he's also a member of NATO, right? So he's really at the middle of so much of this because even though he's a member of NATO, Turkey's a NATO member, he's also got close relations with who? Moscow. And that, by the way, and you won't even hear this in mainstream media, that's where some of these highest level negotiations have taken place was in Turkey. And so you saw... The Ukrainian foreign minister and the Russian foreign minister Lavrov met in Turkey yesterday to discuss negotiations, and they even discussed holding talks in Turkey between Putin and Zelensky. I think that's the road you need to go down. Do not go down the war of escalation. Go down the road of de-escalation. Look, I'm just going to come out and say it, guys. We had good ranchers for dinner the other night. Tanya Tay came home. She said, look, it's dinner time. Uh, it was Thursday, so we were going into Lent. So we do we do the no meat on Fridays. It's a Catholic thing. So we were saying this is Thursday, and we're like, what are we gonna do? Let's get some meat. Tanya goes, we are gonna go in, and I'm gonna cook up the two biggest steaks I can find out of our last Good Ranchers haul. She cooks them up. I'm telling you guys, I have never had steak like this before. And I know, I know you're like, but Jack, Good Ranchers is, you know, one of your things You have the, you know, promo code POSO, etc. Look, I know, I know, I know. But just, I'm telling you, I should get Tanya on here to talk about it, actually, how good this thing was. And she had the sauce that she put it in. Now, I, asked, I did ask her about the sauce. And I got to tell you, she said it's Tanya Tay's secret sauce. And we cannot know what Tanya Tay's secret sauce is. So maybe we'll have to do that. But I'm telling you, with this Good Ranchers, 
it was one of the greatest steaks that I ever had in my entire life. And if you want good ranchers, and if you want your dinner to be as delicious as the dinner at the Poso household was when Tanya Tay was cooking with their special sauce, where do you go? You go to goodranchers.com slash Poso. That's goodranchers.com slash Poso. Steakhouse quality, uh, yeah. Prime, upper choice, highest quality possible. They got ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips. They even have chicken. It's pre-marinated. You just throw it right in. It's amazing. It's so convenient. It is less stressful. I guarantee you, please go to goodranchers.com. Use promo code POSO, 30% off. Free express ship, by the way, free shipping on a giant box of frozen meat to your house. Uh, yeah, that's obviously something that you want free shipping on. So make sure that you go to goodranchers.com and use promo code POSO today. And just to round out today's stories, we're also seeing now on the ground or in the information warfare space, as opposed to on the ground, that Facebook is allowing a loophole or a temporary uh, temporary let up of their anti-violence. So Facebook is known for having anti-violence, anti-extremist, very strong. When Facebook does censorship, right, they're saying they're, they're centering calls to violence, they're centering calls to extremism. But Facebook has now come out and said that they are going to lift that restriction, lift their famous restriction on violence when it comes to Russians. They are going to allow people, and, and particularly it says people of Central and Eastern Asia, uh, Central and Eastern Europe, to call for violence against Russians. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this is a bad thing because what we're seeing now is corporations, Western corporations, and I know that they like to claim that they are we are global citizens and this was the global citizen, you know, President Obama's global citizen moment and his movement and all of that was pushed with the globalists. We are now seeing the tech companies in Silicon Valley take sides in geopolitics. What does this mean? This needs to be understood in the greater context of what we're seeing unravel in real time, and that is the project of globalization. It's done. We are now seeing a rapid advance and a decoupling of East and West, and perhaps the global South as well, as sort of being a wild card in all of this, because you are seeing a rapid and systemic deglobalization of the world economy. And this has been planned for years. The Russians were planning this. The Chinese were planning this. India is making potentially making roads here. Brazil, potentially South Africa. You're talking over one half of the world's population. So keep in mind, there's more people in the BRICS nations than there are in the rest of the world combined. And that means Europe and North America. So don't think that they do not wield power when they have that much of the world's population between them. And it is up. It is the utter fecklessness and idiocy of the United States for pursuing this globalization project for the last 30 years and trying to bring everyone under their heel, both financially, culturally, politically, and economically, that has led to this moment, right? And and, and look, you know, I know people are going to come out there and say, oh, but Poso, you can't support what's going on. You can't support what's going on. Look, I don't support what's going on. I certainly don't support war in any form. This is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. Obviously, I support people defending themselves, but if you're going to make war and use that as your politics, and they say war is politics by other means, then you are playing off of a ridiculous playbook and you're going to get innocent people killed so that you can get your way. That's number one. But number two is that we're not going to lie about 
the lead up to this situation. We're not going to lie about the Biden family using this as their family business and the millions they got off Burisma. We're not going to lie about Ukrainian corrupt oligarchs being the number one donor at one point, according to the Wall Street Journal, to the Clinton Foundation. We're not going to lie about these things. We're going to tell the truth. And whatever's going on in these biolabs, we're going to tell the truth about that as well. It looks like this is something, yes, it started with the Soviet bioweapon program, but people would like to know, and I think the people of the world have a right to know, what happened to those pathogens and why is it that Victoria Nuland is so scared about them? All right. Now, if you want to continue to support Human Events Daily, support our work, support this podcast, let us keep the lights on. Let us keep the ball rolling. What do you do? You go to MyPillow.com slash POSO. You utilize promo code POSO as well as go to support all of our advertisers, our sponsors. That is how we're able to keep this going. That's how we're able to punch back and cut through the mainstream media's lies, the propaganda, and by the way, the war propaganda that we're seeing now. Look, we've seen domestic propaganda in the past couple of years in state campaign after state campaign. And we've seen the mainstream media drive home this propaganda for the state's interest. And whether that be social, whether it be medical, whatever the propaganda is, we've seen all of it. But now we are entering a phase of war propaganda. You will see the propagandists and the war machine merge together seamlessly as one in this phase. You will see the uniparty stand together as one in this phase. So pay attention. And if you want to support our ability to get this message out, support our sponsors and go to MyPillow.com slash POSO. This next story, incredible exclusive to the Federalist. Durham is investigating the 2016 DNC hack. There was previously no known connection between the special counsel and the government's investigation into the 2016 DNC hack. This is from the great Professor M.J. Cleveland, Margot Cleveland, at The Federalist. I highly encourage everyone to go to thefederalist.com and go and understand what's happening here. So, what is the bottom line? Well, it turns out, and we've talked about this before, we've talked so much about this before, that, every, remember the Alpha Bank and how the Alpha Bank server scandal was based on faked up web data, right? Go read the article for all the details. I'm going to give you the 50,000 foot view. That web data was faked up by tech companies and then handed over to the FBI and handed over to other tech companies and said, look, it looks like a Russian server is at a Russian bank called Alpha Bank is communicating with another server located in Trump Tower, somewhere in the Trump organization. What turned out that that web data was completely fake and falsified by a domestic tech company, which it turns out had ties to Fusion GPS and ties to people that were working on behalf of the Clinton campaign. Now we come to find that a similar situation may have happened with the DNC hack. The Durham investigation is now digging into that very same data which originally was told led directly to Russiagate. We were told again and again that this was the genesis, even before the dossier, that this was the genesis of Russiagate. So I don't even think I need to explain to you the implications of whether or not this becomes true. And our final story today comes to us by way of Breitbart. Michelle Obama's When We All Vote stokes fear of racially motivated voter suppression 
In an HBCU campaign, Michelle Obama's voter registration organization is stoking the fear in promotion targeting historically black colleges and universities. The celebrity-driven voter drive comes out and says that voting rights for black people are under attack. In this new video, Michelle Obama has teamed up with NBA athlete Chris Paul to sound the race alarm. There are people coming out there working day in and day out to make it harder for communities of color, people with disabilities, and young people like you to cast their ballots. They appear to be referring to voter integrity laws being passed in various states to guard against voter fraud and solidify voter identification requirements. Democrats have sought to portray these laws as racist, claiming they are intended to disenfranchise minorities. This has been promoted by Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Paramount Network's Yellowstone actress Piper Perabo, and former Obama administration official Valerie Jarrett. We all love Valerie Jarrett, don't we? And keep in mind, this is the same thing they always do. They say... When you support voter ID, the same type of ID that you need to get on air, literally do anything in society, literally do anything in society, you need some form of ID, except for when you go to vote. That's it. Try getting on an airplane. Try buying tickets to Walt Disney World. Try buying tickets to a movie in some places, right? They'll ask you for ID, especially if you're underage, right? Obviously. But no, go to vote. The sacred duty of democracy, the thing that we're supposed to be uh, defending in Ukraine right now, they don't even care. They don't even want you to have ID. Why is that? Well, to ask the question as to know the answer. All right, and that is all the time we have for today. Human Events Daily, what did we talk about today? We gave you that on-the-ground assessment of what is happening in uh, in and around Kiev, in and around the south, the land bridges that are being built across the southeast and the northeast of Ukraine as the Russian army advances. It is slow. It is methodical. But yes, the advancement is taking place on the ground. We also talked about the United Nations and the Security Council meeting that is coming up next. We talked about the situation with Durham and the DNC 2016 hack. What will he uncover? And finally, we talked about former First Lady Michelle Obama and her race-stoking um, attack on voter ID and voter integrity laws. This has been today's edition of Human Events Daily. And remember, our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you is to be good, be brief, be gone. But before we go, it's time for today's history break. On this day, March 11th, 2020, two years ago today, COVID-19 was declared an international pandemic. Can you believe it's now been officially two years to stop the spread? Now, before I go, your homework for us. Share this out with one of your normie friends and leave us your five-star review. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore. 